we have started, while the students were away, a series of studies that are often used in many liturgical churches during the season that is called Lent. Now, if that's offensive to you, you just call it a Bible study or something else. The word Lent means lengthening of days, and it has to do with spring, the coming back of spring again, and it's the 40 days before Easter. Many churches and many Christians do a period of self-examination during this time. And a lot of times they take the Beatitudes, sometimes the Ten Commandments, and sometimes they take what Christ thinks about the church. But what is the church? Is the church just a building? Well, they didn't have buildings to meet in. Is the church a, a big uh, mimeograph machine grinding out papers and mailing them out to everyone? No. The church is people. The church is people who are called out from the world to a faith in Jesus Christ and have been regenerated, have been born again. This is the only uh, general assembly that's going to really count. That's the general assembly of the firstborn. Now, the book of Revelation was written to a group of Christians, and especially in chapters 2 and 3, Christ himself dictates a letter to his servant John, his apostle. And if Jesus Christ ever writes you a letter, you better read it. It's not so important what other people think about you, but it's very important what Jesus Christ thinks about you. Now, what does Christ think about the church? What does he think about the church in Montreat? What does he think about you as a member of that particular body or that assembly of believers or as one who attends and worships here? The word revelation, as I said to the young people then, means to, do, to pull back. Apocalypsis is a Greek word which means to draw back the curtain so that you can see into something that hasn't been seen before. It reveals something to you. And by the way, there is just one revelation here. There is no it. The book of Revelation, the apocalypse, uh, what God is revealing uh, to us. Now, in the first chapter, our Lord Jesus is described by John. And let me say this, that when the Lord Jesus came to John, John fell at his feet as one dead, awestruck, paralyzed in fear, because he was in the presence of the living and the true God, the creator of heaven and earth. And it's very important for us not to get glib about our faith in Christ, but to remember that there should be a proper experience of awe in the presence of God. When you come close to him and realize who he is, there should be some reverence there. I think the key to the book of Revelation is found in chapter 1, verse 9. And if you have your Bibles, and I wish we had few Bibles, and I intended to have the text printed today, um, look at verse 9 of chapter 1. I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation. Now, we've said this is apocalyptic literature. That's literature that reveals some mystery, something that is cryptic, something that is coded. And this kind of literature usually comes to, peer, to people who are going through periods of persecution. And these believers are going through persecution. 
and John himself is in a prison colony on a sort of Alcatraz island. He is on the island of Patmos, and the archaeologists have discovered it, and it was a prison colony. And he is there in that prison colony, and Christ comes to him there and gives him a letter uh, to be directed to the seven churches that he writes to. I, John, your brother, your brother, not the Pope, but I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation. The tribulation means to be squeezed until the blood comes out of the grape. It means to be put under pressure. I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation. Do you think about the Christians who are in tribulation in China, in Russia, in Cuba, in El Salvador, in many places where they cannot have their job if they really live as Christians? Yesterday our dean told me of the, looking at a transcript of one of our students from a communist country. On the transcript to the college here, every single grade is A with one big fat F in political indoctrination. He said, I was never so proud of an F in my life. The F is there because you can't serve two masters. We don't even know what it's all about. I'm going out to Korea the week after Easter, and I had a letter from R.K. Robinson. R.K. said that, uh, and you know Korea is right there next to North Korea and to China. He said that once in a while a Christian would slip down from North Korea into South Korea, which is very prosperous. And these Christians in Korea meet early in the morning for Bible study, for prayer, for worship. They take their faith in the Lord Jesus, most serious thing in the world to them. And he said that one of these Christians from North Korea said to him, you don't know what Christianity is down here. If you want to see some Christians, you ought to go up north. And in China, it's that way. There has been some loosening there, and some light is beginning to shine in. A little bit of freedom comes. But when you stop to think of what Christians have gone through in those lands for the last 30 years, and remember that for a long period of time, every single church in China was closed. It was a criminal offense to have a copy of the Bible. That's considered counter-revolutionary. You write the copy of Scripture. Well, I, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom, and perseverance which are in Jesus, he is a partaker, John, with his brothers who are going through tribulation, but who also know that there is another king besides Caesar, and with the perseverance which are in Jesus, that they persevere in him, was on the island called Patmos. And why was he there? Because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And then comes the messages. Now let me read quickly through to where we are today. At chapter 2, verse 1, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, To the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, to the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, 
I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance, that you cannot endure evil men, and that you put to the test those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you have found them to be false. And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first or else I am coming to you and I will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. I wonder if he's coming to us to take away our lampstand if we do not repent of the evil we do in America and even in Montreal. Yet, yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now here's a word that Jesus always used. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, the conqueror, to him who overcomes I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, the first and the last who was dead and has come to life says this, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the blasphemy by those who say that they are Jews and are, and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison. And you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, to the one who has the sharp two-edged sword, says this, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. And you hold fast my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. Because you have there some who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit acts of immorality. Thus you also have some who in the same way hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, or I am coming to you quickly. And I will make war against you with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, to him I will give some of the hidden manna. And I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone, which no one knows but he who receives it. Amen. May God bless to our understanding this reading from his word. Keep your Bible open if you have your Bible with you to that letter to the church at Pergamum.
Let me say uh, to you that uh, these earliest Christians were going through what many Christians in uh, communist countries are going through today. The earliest Christians could not participate. If you think, stop and analyze what people talk about the most, they either talk about politics or they talk about the economy or they talk about sports or they talk about entertainment. They didn't have weather casters back then. And uh, so this is one of the things. The earliest Christians could be terribly antisocial. How could they talk about politics when they couldn't get involved in the worship of Nero? All they had to do to be saved from being burnt at the stake or thrown to the lions was simply to take a pinch of incense and place it at the altar to Caesar and say, Curios Kaiser. But they said, Curios Jesus, Jesus is Lord, not Caesar is Lord. And if you will remember in the first lesson I point on this, I pointed out that a lot of Greeks committed suicide. Nero wasn't just partial to killing Christians, he would kill Greeks too. But the Greeks committed suicide, but the Christians wouldn't. They believed that they should use their life to be burnt out as a testimony to Jesus. And as a result of it, they went through these horrors and these persecutions. Now then, in the first church at Ephesus, we see the Christians going through trouble. Uh, they couldn't talk about the economy there because they had wrecked the economy when they brought in the true faith in Jesus Christ. Many of the people had brought their evil books and burned them. Uh, many of the people had destroyed their icons, their idols, and all of this was essential to the economy of Ephesus. And any time the church wrecks the pornography industry or the movie industry or the liquor industry or the gambling industry, we would get a little persecution too. But the truth of the matter is we're so terribly ineffective in these areas that nobody cares. North Carolina has more pornography stores per capita than any other state in the Union. All these Baptists, all these Presbyterians, all these Bible Belt, fundamental evangelical Christians, and all this pornography. Something is wrong. Okay, you would be out of step with society because you couldn't participate in the sports. The gladiators would be killing each other in the Rome, in the arena. Not only in Rome, but in all of the Roman provinces. They had great arenas and theaters, sports arenas. There was a big sports arena at Pergamum, the church we talk about today. But the Christians couldn't enter into this. And so there would be trouble that would come there. And then wrecking the economy politics, entertainment, all of these things, they would be out of sympathy with and out of harmony with. And so they began to be persecuted. Now let's look at verse, eight, uh, verse uh, 12, to the angel of the church in Pergamum. The last church was Smyrna. He said nothing uh, in correction of the church at Smyrna. It suffered for Christ. And sometimes when Jesus does not speak to us when we're going through suffering, it doesn't mean that he doesn't know about it. The old Negro spiritual, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows but Jesus. But he knows. 
and that's enough. He knows and he cares and he gives us a great dignity in knowing that he'll keep us through those troubles. And it's important for us to remember that. He said of that church in Smyrna, I know you're suffering and I know you're poor. Maybe they'd given all their, give, their goods away. Maybe they didn't have any goods because their jobs had been taken away with them. They were politically undesirable and they couldn't get jobs. It's significant that when we're told of certain healings in the Bible that the aprons of the apostles were laid down and certain people who touched them were healed. You don't wear an apron unless you're working. And people like Peter and Paul, these great figures in the church, worked and worked very hard with their hands. So you see the church suffering. And the church... Yet that church in Smyrna was rich. I often think about Paul. They might have thought Paul was so poor that he had to write to a friend of his to bring him his old coat that was cold in Rome in the prison. But above all, he said, bring the parchments with you. Bring my copies of the sayings of Jesus. Bring my copies of the scriptures that you have. Bring those parchments, the old cloak that I left at Carpus, with Carpus at Troas, when thou comest, bring with thee. What means the most to you? The Bible or your coat? Here, Paul speaks, but he was very rich, rich in the Lord Jesus. Now at verse 18, we begin our lesson. To the angel, uh, verse 12, to the angel at the church in Pergamum. Let me tell you about Pergamum, and I'm just going to go down this uh, verse by verse. Pergamum uh, was a capital of the Roman province, which was called in Roman times Asia. In our day, it's called Asia Minor in Turkey. But in that day and time, it was a, a Roman capital. It was a capital because there was a huge library of more than 200,000 volumes. The word parchment comes from the word pergamum because it was a, a library that rivaled Alexandria, which had the greatest library in antiquity. And uh, they were forbidden, by the way, to make uh, papyri, and so they had to go to the skins of animals, and those skins of the animals were uh, called parchment, and they were distinctive uh, from pergamum. And to the angel of the, and the angel is, by the way, the messenger. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, the one who has the sharp two-edged sword. Rome said that it had a sword by which it kept peace. But Rome's sword had one edge. And the sword of Jesus is a two-edged sword. The one who has the two-edged sword says this, I know where you dwell. I know where you dwell. Where Satan's throne is. There are two words for dwell. One is a word that means like you put up a tent and stay there for a while and then you strike the tent and you move on. But the word here for dwell means permanently. And that they are there. And they have to stay there in this dreadful place 
where Satan's throne is. We wonder if this place, which was known as the Roman capital of government, known for its intellectual center because of its library, known also for its medical center because escapulus, is that the way you say it, that signa of the American Medical Association with the serpent, that was one of the gods of healing. You could go there and get healed. They've, the archaeologists have found tunnels where they took people through in a kind of a shock treatment deal um, uh, back in those days and times. They had diet, they had uh, uh, exercise, they had all the things we have to work with now that nobody wants to use but work. Um, they, they had many things. It was a very great medical center. There are people who worship the god of Jog. And um, uh, they have had this there. And, uh, but what's, what are all these healthy, well-recreated bodies going to do if you go to hell? It ain't going to do any good. I, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Uh, and I think the serpent might have reminded them of, of uh, the description of Satan in the Old Testament. You dwell where Satan's throne is. And yet you hold fast my name and do not deny my faith. And here let me say, do not be ashamed of the name of Jesus. These young people are an inspiration to me. They want to put on a concert that will glorify Jesus. They want young people to come to a faith in him. This is a far cry from some other years when we are plagued with panty raids and everything else. To, to get this sort of thing going is a great uh, blessing, and we need to give a lot of uh, credit to the young people who uh, have a vision to do something for the Lord, and we're grateful for that. And they're going to reach a lot of young people through medium which they can understand. They'll have counselors who are trained, and they'll reach them. Well, these people are going to be faithful here, where they are. They are faithful in Pergamum. And this is a place where Satan's stronghold is. And they are holding fast to the name of Jesus. And they have not denied my faith. And that is precious to Christ who speaks to this church. And sometimes the Lord Jesus means for us to stay in a place where it's difficult to stay. And sometimes we have to stay where there are people who do not appreciate our testimony or our witness. And I remember reading a poem, which I have here, just a little bit of it, I don't have time for it. Uh, Kipling has a poem entitled, entitled Mulholland's Contract. And it's an interesting poem. Mulholland was a cattle man, and he worked on a boat, a cattle boat, that transported huge uh, uh, um, numbers of cattle in the hull of a big ship. And uh, his place was to be there to control these cattle. And there came a terrific storm, and the cattle pens broke, and the cattle stampeded, and Mulholland was about to be flailed to death by the hooves of all of these animals who were there in the ship. And he cried out to God to save him. And he made a contract with God, which was put into a little poem by Kipling. And by the terms of the contract, as I have read the same, if he got me to port alive, I would exalt his name and praise his holy majesty till further orders came. Well, miraculously, he was preserved, and he did reach shore alive, 
and he prepared to carry out his part that he had promised. And his idea was to become a minister in a church someplace or, or to preach religion. And then further orders came. And, and the, the further orders are interesting. I never puts my ministers no more than they can bear, so back you go to the cattle boats and preach my gospel there. And so that's a lesson for us to learn from Pergamon, that the Lord means for us to be faithful uh, there where Satan's stronghold is, where his throne is, where his seat is. You hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my witness. Now the word witness in our day means one who testifies in court. But the word in Greek for witness here is martyr. The same word uh, we get our word martyr from. And that means faithful unto death. Sealed his testimony to Jesus with his blood. I don't know what happened that Antipas is named here. In the days of Antipas, my, my witness, my faithful one who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. He always starts with a commendation, and then he points out the things I have against you. I have a few things against you because there are some who hold the teachings of Balaam, who kept the teaching of Balak, to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit acts of immorality. Here is a profound theological insight. Idolatry and immorality go hand in hand. Whatever your concept of God will be will also determine your concept of personal holiness. And here, there is a lesson from the Old Testament when Balaam, a heathen prophet, who had noticed and gained certain insights in watching the people of Yahweh, the children of Israel, the people of God. And he noticed that when they were obedient to God and his commandments and did not worship at idols and did not commit immorality, that God blessed them. But he also noticed that when they got into immorality and when they did uh, worship idols, God's hand of blessing was taken away from them. And so Balaam was sent for by Balak, an enemy of the people of Israel. And Balak wanted Balaam to curse Israel, and he offered him money to do so. And Balak was afraid of it, but the money looked very attractive to him, and he wanted the money, and yet he couldn't figure out at first how he might bring the curse of God upon Israel. And if you remember the story in the Old Testament of what happened, Balaam was sent for by Balak, and on the way there he was riding on a little donkey, and he had to go through a narrow pass, and the donkey went up close to the ledge of rock and crushed Balaam's foot against the, the rock because an angel of the Lord stood in front of the donkey with a sword. And Balaam couldn't see the angel of the Lord, but the donkey could. And so when the donkey crushed Balaam's foot against the rock, Balaam took a stick and beat the donkey with it and said, you miserable beast, why have you hurt my foot this way? 
And then the donkey turned around and said to him, I never did you any harm before. Now the angel of the Lord is in front of me. When a donkey speaks to you, you'll listen. Uh, I hope. There have been a lot of them preaching. Uh, uh, anyway, uh, this attracted his attention because the donkey was trying to keep him from committing a great thing that was wrong. He stopped in the presence of the angel. The angel was going to let him go on through. But the angel was going to tell Balaam, uh, you cannot uh, go there and curse my people Israel. Uh, you can't go there and do this thing. What, what Balaam wanted to do in the doctrine of Balaam and what we think was the doctrine of the Nicolaitans or the Nicolaitans, whichever you want to say it, was to teach people to compromise. Compromise on the deity of Jesus. What does it matter that Jesus should be on a solitary throne? After all, Buddha and Muhammad and Confucius, all of these gods are worshipped. Why not be broad-minded and synchristic? Join Baha'i. Wait everything. There's not really any hell. Five minutes after you're dead will be a poor time to find out the truth. There's no hell. If there was no hell, God's son would never have died on a cross. He would never have borne that curse. But he did that to save us from the hereafter and to save us from sin now and to make us holy. And one thing is to keep us from idols and the other is to keep us from immorality. If you remember Michelangelo's uh, great picture of the creation, God reaches to man and it is only when God touches man that man becomes true man. And when God touches us, we become what we're supposed to be. And therefore, he will not tolerate idol worship. Not the worship of men like Chairman Mao to bow before his portrait, to sing the songs to him in every school a picture of him. Every child wearing a little pin on the left side in his honor. All of this being required of almost a billion people or be imprisoned or persecuted or denied the right to buy and sell or to go to school. These things happen in 1981. They're happening in Russia. And Solzhenitsyn is 100% correct that it's out of the rubble that the truth, the truth will come. And so here we are told, thus you have some who in the same way hold to the te teaching of the Nicolaitans, some of the people who want to compromise. And so in a church we must stand not only for the truth, but we must correct that which is in error. You cannot tolerate that which is evil. The sword which comes from the mouth of Christ here, is a sword which is meant to, to be the word of God. Jesus is described as the word of God, and that's the trouble. We don't know the Bible and don't believe it and don't preach it and don't teach it like we should. If we did, a lot of errors could be corrected, and people wouldn't be falling into all these cults that they get into now. 
but the word of God will awaken our conscience from what is evil. And the word of God will teach us the way of holiness. And the word of God will also destroy that which is wrong. The two-edged sword. One edge will be the edge of the gospel to lead us to a faith in Jesus Christ if we are open and receptive to that faith. And the other edge will be to destroy that which will not obey his truth. We cannot compromise, and that's why I printed John Stott's statement in the bulletin today, which is so apropos to broad-minded church people who want to amalgamate into nothingness and to water down the doctrines that have to do with the person and the work of Christ. It is necessary for us to, to uh, admit uh, we must have unity in that which is essential to salvation, we must have liberty in that which is not essential to salvation, and we must have love in all things, but we are not to tolerate evil. And so this is made clear, clear here, and then verse 16, repent. And repent means change from what you're doing, or else I am coming to you quickly, and I will make war against them with the sword of my mouth. And then the words of Jesus, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And then the promise that he graciously brings to him who overcomes, to him I will give some of the hidden manna. He will give us blessings that other people can't always understand. And I will give him a white stone. There was a white stone that was cast by jurors, or a black stone, a white stone for acquittal, uh, a black stone for uh, a conviction. There was a white stone that was given to those who had fought in the uh, gladiatorial combats often to say it had a, a secret Latin code word on it, which meant that this person who gained that particular uh, stone was a person of great valor and courage, and he was to be treated with respect by the Roman government, sort of a medal of honor, uh, such as we have a Congressional Medal of Honor. And maybe that's what it meant. Maybe it meant the uh, stone on the high priest in the Old Testament with the name of Yahweh secretly written there. Uh, a new name written on the stone, which no one knows but he who receives it. I remember a little counselee that I had years ago who suffered terribly from depression. And she wrote a little poem one time for me, and at the end of the poem, she said, the love of Jesus, what it is, none but his loved ones know. And then she echoed the words, but they know, but they know. Now, do you love Jesus? Have you a concern for the truth of the gospel, to defend its truth and also to live in holiness? If you do, then you have the promise which he has offered you there. On Tuesday this week, Mary Wong will be here. She's written a book, The Church That Will Not Die. She is one of those who was able to escape from China. I was born and I love in China and I love my country. I ponder her great age. I ponder her four million square miles, her population of almost a billion. But she is not too old or too vast 
and China has space for all her people, all but those who wish to follow Jesus. My family were fortunate enough to escape, but our relation is tempered by the shadow of those Christian friends who remain in China. Have they been executed or sent to labor camps? In 1966, all the churches were closed. Posters in Shanghai said, Hang God. A letter from a labor camp said, Pray, pray for us. We are in Gethsemane, and we are near to Calvary. The church in China has been silenced, but it is not dead, and it will not die. When many of the Christians escaped from the mainland of China and went to Taiwan, a missionary that I knew about happened to be on some of the boats that left mainland China with the children. The Chinese people love their children very much. And the older Christians took their children, whom they knew would be terribly persecuted, and put them on boats, kind of like the uh, evacuation at Dunkirk, and sent them uh, over to uh, Taiwan. And the children were brokenhearted because they were leaving their parents, and, and their family ties are very great and honorable. And they wept and wept profusely. And one of the missionaries said that there was a song which has been translated into Chinese, which is in English, which they sang and comforted their little hearts with in their sorrow. I have decided to follow Jesus. 